Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I thought we should do a little bit of an update episode or a mini episode or whatever you want to call it on some of the data that we were missing when we actually recorded the two-part investing series. Yeah, I think that would be great because when we started talking, we realized we didn't have a lot of data to look at that wasn't completely heteronormative. Yeah, so we're going to be talking today a lot about same-sex couples and actually investing within those couples and what that looks like from a financial perspective. Now, I will say that neither Tara or I are part of the LGBTQ plus community, but we are very strong supporters and think that it is super important to talk about this stuff. And when I was doing some of the research for this little mini episode, I was actually getting kind of frustrated that there wasn't more research done on investing within same-sex couples and, you know, the money management side of it is also very sparse when it comes to information, but a lot of it is also, again, American. And I think we've talked about this before, but why is there no Canadian data on this? Yeah, it would be really nice if anybody is out there, we will uh, help to promote and or fund your research. Any of the Canadian universities, if you want to start looking into this, that'd be great because it seems like anybody in the LGBTQ plus community has kind of become invisible. So from an investment perspective, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. The first was around researching companies that help individuals find investments that are LGBTQ plus friendly. Now, there are a couple of different, I guess, companies. I have three in front of me here. And this was actually an article done by NerdWallet. We can link it in our newsletter. But the Corporate Equality Index, or CEI, rates businesses on LGBT inclusivity on a 100-point scale, and they actually have a really nice report that you can download that goes through the top Fortune 500 companies and rates them. The second one is the Credit Suisse report on LGBTQ investing. It is a report from 2016 that examines the relationship between diversity, especially in LGBT-friendly practices. And the last one is Trillium Investing Inequality Report. So again, 2016, this report explains how to support LGBT inclusion while investing in publicly traded companies. So I think that this is a, is a good step in the right direction. So whether or not you're part of the LGBTQ plus community or not, if you want to support them, doing some of this research is, is really important. Yeah, and I think it goes, this kind of um, corporate equality index kind of ties into the ESG investing that's come about lately. So that's environmental, social, and corporate governance as well. And, you know, when you're investing in companies, whether you're buying it at the IPO, and so your money's going directly to the company, or you're buying it in the secondary market, I think it's just another way of even though I don't like saying voting with your dollars, but it's another way of supporting and putting your money in the places that you believe in while also growing your own wealth. For sure. And again, wasn't able to really find a lot of Canadian data, but when I dug into the CEI report a little bit further, some of the things that they looked at when it came to rating companies was 
parity between benefits available for employees and their spouses or partners. So, you know, when you're when you are looking at a company, making sure that the healthcare piece of it or the insurance piece of it extends to same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to go now knowing that, I'm going to go and look at my own company's policies cuz as a hetero lady, like it's not something that I'm looking at. I'm looking at what my dental and vision package is, but I would certainly hope that where I'm working is not discriminating against people because their spouse is of the same gender or they're somehow eliminating medication or uh, anything else that someone who's trans would need because they're trans. That just sounds silly to me. Yeah, and especially because benefits make up on average about 30% of people's kind of total compensation. So Mm -hmm. it is a big portion of it. But I mean, when you think about it, this obviously could be something for same-sex couples, but also for women with fertility issues. Mm. A lot of companies don't cover IVF in their benefits plan because it is so expensive. And it was only, I think, a year or two ago where IVF treatment was available as a tax deduction. That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. So when I when you say, like, um, I hope my company isn't, you know, discriminating, I, I totally hope that too. I, I work for a really great company. But then when I hear stuff like that and see stuff like that, I'm like, well, maybe we're not as far as we, we need to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. The other area that they were looking at from a benefit standpoint was uh, affirmative transgender inclusive healthcare. So we touched on that a little bit before. And um, ensuring that there is coverage ac- across this. So I couldn't imagine you know, having a child that is maybe transgender and needs to, you know, be on medication or wants to start doing um, surgery for uh, sex reassignment and not having that covered and having to pay out of pocket for that. Or even, so I've noticed a lot of things like even if a trans individual like doesn't want to transition because that's, you don't have to, right? But there's a lot of pushback in the medical community and in other places because they're like, oh, well, this is what your birth certificate says or this is what your name is on your birth certificate. Um, So if there's anything in benefits policies just to remove those barriers too, I certainly hope there are. I do too. I'm going to look after doing this research. Like that's my Monday morning job. I'm getting really like riled up about it. For sure. So the next area I wanted to talk about briefly was actual investments that are LGBTQ plus friendly. Uh, so there are two ETFs I found. So we talked about ETFs a little bit in, I think, part one of our two-part series. And I guess now it's kind of a three-part series. But the Workplace Equality Index is the first one they came across. And this index was developed in 2001 through Denver Investments. And it includes companies with LGBTQ-friendly policies, such as partner medical leave and insurance. And this allows you to actually invest in companies that on a diversified basis that, you know, have higher equality than other companies. Mm-hmm. The second one was the Credit Suisse LGBT Equality Index, and this was developed in 2013. So I'd actually be interested to see the difference in the companies that maybe are included in those two indexes. Mm-hmm. And to be included in this equality index, you have to score 80 or better on the thing I talked about earlier, the CEI index. So if you're not getting over 80%, then you cannot be part of this index. So there's kind of two things. There's an index that rates the corporations, and then there's a way that you can invest in an ETF, which they're calling like an index fund, to support, well, not to support, but to at least put your money into... Your values or beliefs or whatever. Yeah, Who you exactly. want to support. Exactly. So your growth is based on that. And I do think, cool. you know, as the millennials and Gen X start to invest more money, 
it is something, you know, whether it's LGBTQ plus friendly or uh, ESG that we talked a little bit about before, you know, investing in in sustainable companies, investing in companies that are doing good things, I think Mm -hmm. is going to be the way it moves forward. I hope so. I mean, I've kind of gotten, I've always been into ESG as long as it's been kind of talked about. So probably about nine, 10 years now since I've been looking at it. And there's a lot of hype. Like anything I've dug into, there's always something that I have a problem with, unfortunately, but it's getting so much better. Every year it's getting better. And I think it's because there's just more attention on it. Yeah. I remember when I first started looking into it, like probably five years ago, some of the companies that made that cut, I was like, no way. They're not like mm-hmm. socially responsible companies. And I think that's another piece that people need to make sure they're looking into is understanding what companies are in those ETFs, let's say, for example, and, you know, as ensuring that they are in line with your values. Or, I mean, maybe you could even look at like Glassdoor. Sometimes they mm-hmm. have like whether or not it's an LGBTQ plus friendly company. And that's mm-hmm. based on employee reviews. Yeah, which is great, too. Yeah, and so if you find something that's maybe not in the right spot or, you know, they're saying that they're an ESG or an LGBTQ plus friendly mm-hmm. company and you're seeing, you know, different things, then maybe you don't want to put your money there as well. Yeah, definitely dig into the, the ETFs and the funds and yeah. the companies that make them up. Have you found that you get lower returns with these type of funds? Because I have found that in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think they're still at the place where they're – um, lower returns and maybe a little bit more risky anytime that I've kind of looked at a prospectus. I definitely have noticed that. But for me, I think, and I mean, I'm not going to say that my whole portfolio is invested this way because it is not. So I want to be fully transparent on that. But I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit in return to have something that aligns with my beliefs and values. So as long as you know that's what you're getting. That's what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So interestingly, before we jump to the last point, I actually just scrolled down to the, in the CEI report, to the, some of the biggest, the top 20 Fortune 1000 companies actually on this list. So Walmart is number one. Hmm. And uh, they have a CEI score of 100. Wow. Yeah. So I, I'm going to dig further into this report. I, it's like yeah. a ton of pages long. Because I'm curious, so Berkshire Hathaway is number two, okay. but they got a score of 20. Whoa. Yeah. That's a huge difference. So places like Costco got a 60. Uh, who else is on here that would be, I guess, well-known? Apple got a score of 100. Hmm. General Motors, 90. Amazon, 100. Okay. I think I want to look into this next a for little sure. bit more too. <laughs> I really would love to know if you work for one of those companies that we just listed, what your experiences are on whether or not they're LGBTQ plus friendly. Yeah. I think I have a friend that works at Amazon, so I'll be reaching out to him and asking, you know, what the situation is. But mm-hmm. I definitely am going to be digging into this further because this is really interesting. Yeah, we should do a follow-up on this. Please send us all your feedback on this. If you look into the uh, the Equality Index or if you look into ESG stuff as well, yeah, love to dig into this and, and learn more about it. So the last thing I wanted to talk about in this mini episode was actually finding a financial planner for individuals in same-sex marriages or relationships. We talked a little bit about finding the right financial advisor when you are looking to hire one for investing. And uh, I was actually reading an article 
And one of the most important things this gentleman said, he is part of the LGBTQ plus community and he is actually a, an advisor here in Canada, was that you need to make sure that you are out to your financial advisor. Yeah, I think that would make a huge difference, right? Just so they know your background as well. Yeah, yeah and being, you know, making sure that you're able to be honest with them so that they can can help you. And you also don't want to work with someone or give someone money that maybe is anti-LGBTQ plus. Yes, yeah. They said in the article... He's obviously been investing for a while, but when he was, you know, trying to find an advisor, he would tell his financial advisor that he was gay Mm -hmm. and they would, some of them, not all, would flinch. And I think that that is something that maybe LGBTQ plus individuals are trained a little bit more to look for or realize that it's happening. But Mm -hmm. if that is what your experience is, maybe you don't want to give that person your money. Yeah. And I think this goes for like whether or not you're in a same-sex relationship or had a relationship or on your own um, or whatever. I think there's a lot of assumptions that advisors can make that are kind of based on the heteronormative uh, narrative. So things like marriage, kids, even things like buying a house. Like for our generation, these things are not becoming as important. And I've noticed that advisors have been becoming better at like broadening the conversation and not assuming that your goals are going to align to the same thing like now you're working then you're going to get married then you're going to have kids and buy a house somewhere in those steps and then you're going to retire and yada 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 right now it's like maybe you're going to take a few years off and travel maybe you're never going to have kids maybe you're never going to cohabitate maybe you're always going to live with five other people in like a cooperative environment right and I mean, thinking and planning for things like adoption or mm. in vitro or what have you, IVF, those are things that you may have to plan for earlier in a same-sex relationship because you don't have the, I guess, traditional ways available to you of making a baby. Yeah. Which also, not every hetero couple does either. For sure. And I think it'd be super cool if like hetero couples just made the decision to adopt also. Yeah. There's lots of children that need adoption. Yeah. Now, again, I'm going to spend some time searching and scouring the internet because I haven't been able to find a Canadian version of this, Mm. but there are three websites in the U.S. that actually allow you to search for a financial planner that deals with LGBTQ plus uh, individuals. And so I thought I'd just mention them. There's the College for Financial Planning. We'll link all of these in the show notes. Pride Planners and Guidevine. So from my limited search on this you do have to put in your zip code so if any Mm. americans are listening hopefully that's helpful and again i will try and find maybe a searchable website for canadians because i think that that would be a great resource for those people yeah that would be awesome at least then you know you wouldn't necessarily have to come out to an advisor and then watch them flinch that would be horrifying i could not imagine yeah i'm sure that there is discrimination that runs deep in many industries but I mean when you have an industry that is traditionally straight white men you Mm. know there might be a little bit of issues there as well yeah thanks for listening to today's mini episode we hope you enjoyed us digging a little bit deeper into the data around same-sex individuals investing and growing their wealth if you have any thoughts comments questions or a story to share please reach out to us on social media or through our inbox at pinktaxshow at gmail.com. Cool. (laughs) A sherry to store. (laughs) 
We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your money story using the hashtag FemFinances. 